This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 597 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Superman enters the space age. The League and Legion keep quipping. Wild cards are drawn. Ambrose meets a bookworm. Wynn has become the gate. And the circus returns to San Diego. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, July 31st, 2022. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Superman Space Age Book 1 by Russell Allred and Allred. The wonderful Mark Russell, One Star Squadron, My Bad, returns to D.C. to tell what we would have called an Elseworld story in the 90s, along with trippy art from the Allreds. We begin in 1985. Cal is flying over a flaming Earth with what seems like hundreds of meteors crashing into it. He's thinking about something Jor-El once said, that it is better to live with purpose and die by accident than to live by accident and die without purpose. He flies into the fortress and says his goodbyes, the bottled city of Candor, the interplanetary zoo. Alarms are going off, and Clark puts them on snooze. His wife Lois and son Jonathan meet him. Have I ever told you how much I love you? Every day. Good. Dad, everything's going to be okay, right? No, Jonathan, it's not. And that's all right, as the fortress falls down around them. We flash back to 1963 in Smallville. We meet a Pa Kent very much in the style of the Man of Steel films. Clark wants to save the world, and Pa replies, If the world needs you, it'll let you know. He then tells Clark of his experiences in World War II involving the liberation of Saipan. His unit was assigned the task of clearing out caves, never knowing if it would be soldiers or civilians. At one point, he accidentally shoots a young boy. Cal's rocket came down only a few months after he returned to Martha. He tells Clark that his capsule was only part of a larger rocket that flew on. Unfortunately, it's November 22, 1963, and they learn that Kennedy has just been shot. In Washington, Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor are informed that their meeting with the Pentagon is delayed. Over the Arctic, Hal Jordan is part of an Air Force squadron monitoring for an attack by the Russians. At the Daily Planet, Perry White learns that no one can fly to Dallas to cover the story, forcing him to use someone already in Texas, a young Lois Lane, currently assigned the Kooks and Cranks beat. Back to Clark, who decides he can wait no longer and flies off in his civvies, leaving his parents behind. Clark almost starts World War III before Jordan shoots him down. Back in Metropolis, LexCorp's board meets, with Lex telling them to find a general on the awarding committee with some gambling debts. Perry gets Lois's story, 
involving interviews from Dallas, which wins her a Pulitzer. Headline, The Stain of Hope. Back to Clark, who wakes up in the Arctic where the rest of the spaceship recognize him and becomes the fortress, complete with a holographic Jor-El who assumes Cal is ready to assume his duties. Instead, Clark flies home, and he and his parents come up with a plan. He moves to Metropolis and gets a newspaper job so he can learn more about the world while doing some training back with Jor-El. Lois is now the star reporter, and Perry throws the kooks and cranks file to Clark. He learns about humanity through them. One of the people he meets says he knows about the future. He's Pariah of Crisis on Infinite Earths and currently Dark Crisis. Like in the main continuity, he released the Anti-Monitor and is forced to watch worlds die. He knows this world will die in 20 years and that not even Clark can stop it. This haunts Clark. Back in Washington, the delayed presentations begin. Wayne Enterprises is proposing that proxy wars like Vietnam continue using troops equipped with lightweight battle armor, utility belts with special weapons, and small armored vehicles. LexCorp assumes that nuclear war is inevitable, so that the U.S. should take the first shot while saving prominent citizens via underground shelters. Hal Jordan is brought in to talk about his experiences, and he sides with Lex. With that, and a blackmail general, LexCorp gets the contract. Clark and Lois are at a bar, the one where he met Pariah, and he tells her he's spooked about it. She replies with the story of her father in the war, involving a bridge that both sides are convinced is vital for the other, resulting in a long battle that proves to be worthless. In most cases, it's only believing that something is inevitable that makes it so. Clark is relieved and mentions some of the crazy things he predicted, including some kind of insects taking over the U.S., as the Beatles appear on Ed Sullivan. Bruce is dejected about losing the contract, but Lucius suggests they hold on to those prototypes. Lois goes off to cover the civil rights issues in the South and ends up getting arrested, giving her time to interview the other arrestees. Secretly, Clark gets her out of jail. He's also deep into training with Jorel, who he asks how he can save the world when he doesn't always know who's right. My son, no one saves the world. The best you can do is to help people survive it. Later, Lex is giving a demo of his bunkers, having gotten the Pentagon to give him two hydrogen bombs. He's on the Manokini Atoll and plans to set them off while he's in the bunker. It's all a scam. Lex is back in Metropolis and the bombs take out Coast City. Lex is in a bunker and assumes World War III will soon begin. He'll wait it out there with his board of directors. Lois is off to what's left of Coast City. Bruce contacts the Secretary of Energy and learns about the two bombs given to Lex. Alfred suggests they go to their bunker, which happens to be a cave below stately Wayne Manor. Clark goes to the fortress and gets the uniform waiting for him, created by Jor-El. Hal is flying near Coast City looking for survivors and shoots down a weird ship. Of course, it's Abin Sur, there to assess things as Earth is falling apart. Instead, he dies, giving Hal the ring. But I, I'm not worthy. No, you're not, but you are here. Clark knocks down missiles and stops the war, and Lex makes plans to bomb Metropolis as Bruce bats his way into LexCorp, taking Lex into custody. He's charged with two million counts of murder. The world's powers, having just missed Armageddon, are humbled into complete nuclear disarmament. Lois's headline, after seeing the devastation and realizing her father was a victim, the day this became the Space Age. Clark returns to his parents. 
It just feels stupid to imagine that I can strap on a cape, fly around, and keep the shadows at bay. Maybe hope is just what we call the stupidity we need. Later, Diana of Themyscira speaks at the UN, saying that they can't sit on the sidelines any longer. Bruce Wayne funds the building of a Hall of Justice, and the Trinity and Green Lantern meet for the first time. So what do we do now? I suppose that's what we're here to figure out. Wow, that's a lot of story, Mark. Yeah. The next issue just says coming soon. We don't know when? Nope. Do we know how many issues there are going to be? Nope. Okay. Justice League versus the LSH, number four of six by Bendis, Kozlowski, and Cody. Brainy kicks things off with a message to the future. Close the great darkness, whether the heroes have been brought back or not. Post-Great Disaster, Brainy, Monel, Naomi, and Commandy go into Command D. There's some humor as Brainy tries to talk to the building, which is standard operating procedure in the 31st century. Naomi offers him her smartphone, which Brainy wrecks in an attempt to send a message to the future. In the 31st century, Batman, Black Canary, Shadow Lass, Chameleon Boy, White Witch, Bouncing Boy, Karate Kid, and Triplicate Girl debate their next steps. Thoughts of the others being dead are swept away by Bruce. I don't remember you being so hopeful. It's Rose slash Thorn, special liaison for the LSH and the adult in the room. The science police have ordered the evacuation of Earth. In the 1940s, Gold Lantern meets Green Lantern, the Alan Scott version. They try to understand each other before a prop plane flies into the great darkness, reappearing in the 31st century. Batman demands an audience with someone in charge, and they zip over to the United Planets. The president, who's Chameleon Boy's mom, says, Please tell me that's Timberwolf dressed as old Batman. Mama, we gotta save the Earth! She's convinced the Great Darkness is the result of the Legion constantly abusing the time stream and says their top minds are on it. The LSH wants to know about a backup plan for the end of all things. In 1962... Wonder Woman and Windstar are dealing with a huge, colossal boy. Any chance you could be more convenient? In all the time periods, a message comes from the 31st century where Computo is ready to bring them all back. Each group is told to hold on to each other with the strongest doing the holding. Zap! The entire team reappears together in the 21st century, met by Kalex at the Hall of Justice. Some of the team has aged. Black Adam is very old, Green Arrow is a teen, they all look up, and the sky is completely covered by the Great Darkness. I found this very confusing. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't help that it takes months between issues. Yeah, I suppose. Wild Cards, Drawing of Cards number 1 from Marvel by Cornell, Hawthorne, DiBenedetto, and Redmond. If you haven't heard of Wild Cards, it's a long series of sci-fi superhero novels and short stories. 29 of this recording from four publishers since 1987, created by a collection of over 40 authors and edited by George R.R. Martin and Melinda Snodgrass. It's based on a concept that an alien virus is unleashed on Earth with a 90% death rate. 9% are mutated into jokers and the final 1% get superpowers. They are the aces. In terms of comics, Marvel's epic imprint published a miniseries in 1990, a second miniseries in 2008 from Dabble Brothers with various reprints over the years. 
Also notable is that Neil Gaiman in 1987 proposed a wildcard story about a character that lived in dreams. Martin turned it down due to Gaiman's lack of prior credits. Gaiman turned this into The Sandman. There have been multiple attempts to turn the property into films or TV shows. With the plethora of superhero properties today and with Martin's momentum from Game of Thrones, it's shocking this hasn't happened yet. But back to this new comic. It's a retelling of the first novel from 1987. In 1946, the Takisians, an alien race, are planning to run a test of their virus on Earth. Takisians are genetically identical to humans, but the crown prince is against the idea. He tries to stop the test, but his spaceship crash lands on Earth instead. Meanwhile, in New Jersey, war hero Robert Tomlin, a.k.a. Jet Boy, who flew an experimental plane, returns from the war with PTSD. His girl didn't wait for him. As he leaves her home, he sees alien ships in the sky. Later, some hoods find a crashed alien ship and take it to their boss, Jet Boy's archenemy Dr. Todd, a man with a metal half-mask. He doesn't consider himself a villain. I'm just a freelancer who picked the wrong side. At White Sands in New Mexico, the prince's ship lands and he demands to see the president. The other ship with the virus must be found. Unfortunately, he spends days locked up and interrogated. Back to Tomlin, who goes to see his old plane. He has no intention of flying it again, with plans to send it to the museum. No more heroes. Back to Dr. Todd, who has his goons try to open up the ship, and they are immediately deformed or killed. Todd sees this as an opportunity for one last caper. How much do you think the government would pay to save a city? With a map of New York City on his desk. Now, I read online, somebody noted that the goons who were mutated are references to the Fantastic Four. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, they're the four, like one of them stretches way out and one of them is on fire and one of them is invisible. Huh. And <laughs> Fables number 153 from DC Black Label by Willingham, Buckingham, and Lealoa. Most of this issue comes out of Bigby's command to his cubs, don't come back until you've had a big adventure. Each of them take a different tack on this. Winter blames herself for not helping out her parents more. Connor is excited to be on his own. Blossom misses modern conveniences. Ambrose is very nervous. Snow is understandably very angry at her husband. But back to Ambrose. He wishes he had brought a book and comes upon a literal bookworm named Kirk. Kirk is very pleasant and suggests they go to his home for tea and reading. A short interlude with Cinderella, now completely healed from her resurrection. She's not sure what to do with her special set of skills before hearing a news story about a Florida man dragged off by a talking alligator. A short interlude with the Jack of the Green, who's told by her predecessor that heroes go on quests, preferably far away from his home. And then back to Ambrose, who learns that time runs differently in Kirk's home. It's certain it hasn't been much more than a week or two. Ambrose tries to leave, but Kirk notes that since he's eaten his food and drink, that Ambrose belongs to him, as Kirk turns into a huge monster. Meanwhile, Winter finds a turtle with a cup on his back, containing a land of tropical waters. Connor finds what appears to be a magic sword, and Blossom finds a trove of containers all locked up with chains. Guilt number four from Ahoy Comics by Quitney and Morissette. In 2017, bystanders watch as an old Pan Am jet is about to crash. On the plane, the stewardess is told to turn off the autopilot and land it herself. 
1973, Hildy runs after Vera about to get on a military helicopter. Hildy wants to know why they stop being friends in the future and grabs Vera's hand, leaving Hildy dangling as the copter takes off. Vera finally admits she slept with Mr. Man. Hildy threatens to pull Vera out with her. Back to teenage Trista and Wynn. She has just punched out the bowtie guy and is checking him for a concussion. Bowtie guy has bigger things to worry about. He's rapidly aging. He announces he is a gate and transfers his powers to Wynn before turning to Ash. Now, Wynn can return Trista back to the present. Back to Hildy and Vera... Who gives up the whole story? She got together with Mr. Man after Hildy broke up with him, but then Hildy changed her mind. Vera and Mr. Man agreed they should keep their tryst a secret. Hildy and Vera fall out of the copter, flying through a warp, and landing in the water in 2017 as the TWA plane is about to crash. They find an older wind waiting for them on shore. He's going to return Hildy to the Bellicent to null the paradox. Back in 1973... Trista saves a cat from getting hit by a car, recognizes it, and returns it to the older woman at the Bellicent and is offered Zabar's black and white cookies. Wynne shows up at her door and at the same time does so in 2017. Hildy and Vera age to their 2017 ages as they walk through the door. Hildy needs to go to the co-op meeting in 2017 and Trista needs to go through the doorway to 2017. When Trista does so, she's met by the doorman, Wynne. This was also a very confusing comic. Yes, it is. I mean, you it's very hard to describe. I you, mean, because there's one point in time when there's two Hildies, you know? It's yeah. like very weird. Yeah. But good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not unhappy with it at all. After a long delay from COVID, the circus returned to San Diego last week. We have some highlights. Marvel laid out Phase 5 and 6 of the MCU with Phases 4 through 6 now called the Multiverse Saga. Phase 5 includes Wakanda Forever on November 2022 with an appearance by Namor, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, February 2023, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, May 2023, The Marvels, July 2023, Blade, November 2023, Captain America New World Order, May 2024, and Thunderbolts, July 2024. Phase 6 includes Fantastic Four in November of 2024, Avengers The Kang Dynasty, May 2025, and Avengers Secret Wars, November 2025. Now that doesn't even count the Marvel TV shows. Wow. (laughs) Meanwhile, Warner Brothers slash DC pretended that 2023, with all its problematic productions, did not exist. They concentrated on Black Adam and Shazam! Fury of the Gods instead, both coming out this year. Back on the comic side of the business, DC announced that Dark Crisis is being renamed Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, using their refrigerator magnet event naming system. Also, Star Trek Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks will get a crossover episode. Can't wait for that. While the final season of Picard will include the rest of the TNG cast, Sorry, Wesley. Teen Wolf and D&D movies are on their way, as well as Avatar. The Orville will be on Disney Plus in addition to Hulu. And Marvel is releasing a $25 million collectible Infinity Gauntlet with actual precious stones. Announcer Bot 
How can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.